0: This week on the mic drop, stories abound from three highly entertaining and thoughtful guests. Gina Leahy of the NCAA takes us through her career journey, The Secret to Balancing Her Family and Work Lives, and the Future of the NCAA. Stars broadcaster Daryl Ray pulls back the curtain on how he comes up with his colorful descriptions. He takes us through the stars playoff push and lets us know what he's streaming and downloading these days. But first. We are joined by Dallas-Fort Worth media legend, Randy Galloway. He talks about building relationships with the athletes he covered, the responsibility of being an opinion shaper, and his favorite interview of all time. You're not going to want to miss it, so let's drop the mic and let's go. Welcome to the Mic Drop, everybody, the official podcast of the Dallas Sports Commission. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by Dallas Sports Commission Executive Director Monica Paul, the hardest working woman in show business. Also with us is Next Level Marcus Carr. Thanks for listening and subscribing. Big show today, headlined by Randy Galloway. But first, Monica, we have somehow gotten ourselves to episode number 53 of the Mic Drop. Now, when we highlight a player in Dallas-Fort Worth Sports Annals that has worn the number of our episode, uh, Bob Bruning and Mark Stepnowski are two Cowboys who wore number 53 with great success, multiple Super Bowls, but I am so excited about baseball being back on track. The lockout is over, that I'm going with number 53, Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers. Interesting cat defected from Cuba. In 2016, played in Japan, banged around the Cardinals organization for a few years, very little success, Uh, squeaked into 21 games back in 2018. Rangers acquired him in a trade in 2019 after the Cardinals had given up on him. He had six hitless at-bats for the Rangers in the pandemic year of 2020. Didn't make the team in 2021 out of spring training, but got called up on April 13th of last year when Ronald Guzman got hurt and uh, he Garcia just got rolling ultimately becoming American league rookie of the month in May of 21, making the all-star game and getting a double hitting a double in the all-star game. Uh, ended up leading all rookies with 90 RBIs and 59 extra base hits 31 homers tied for the league lead with 16 outfield assists here at the mic drop Monica. We love a good comeback story. So with apologies to Bob Brunig and Mark Stepnoski, And the Mavericks original number 53, Clarence Key, from that 1980-81 team, we're going with number 53, Adolis Garcia, for episode 53. So, Monica, what's happening this week at the Dallas Sports Commission?
1: Yes, Ali, it's a big week. Uh, We're all in on WWE, so we're continuing planning as uh, WrestleMania week is vastly approaching here Uh, A lot of uh, new information to be released, uh, transportation options out for fans. So uh, really get to excited, uh, get exciting planning for that. Uh, And then we're also shifting our focus to the Big 12 Baseball Championships out at Globe Life Field in May. Uh, You'll start to see some ticket on sales coming out, uh, as well as some marketing and uh, other information for the event. So this will be our first time hosting Big 12 Baseball Championships. We're excited about the partnership with the Big 12. Uh, and excited with baseball coming back, um, MLB back, that uh, hopefully those college fans will, will be out to, to support the, the conference championships. Uh, conference USA basketball championships happening out at the Star uh, in Frisco this week. And then uh, we are starting to actually have more World Cup uh, engagement and discussions and moving the needle a little bit uh, as we're approaching what we hear is a may uh decision on host cities for 2026 so a long time coming um we're getting a little bit excited so uh, we're seeing the the bus uh, leave the station a little bit here so it's uh, uh quite exciting around the sports commission right now
0: well the countdown in may has begun we talk a lot about sports philanthropy in our community and the mic drop monica we had a philanthropic mic drop moment this week here in dallas
1: yeah, Sully, uh, the seventh annual Mavs Ball presented by AT&T raised a record, hello, $1.7 million for the Mavs Foundation. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Luca paid uh, 80000 for a visit to the state fair with Boban. Uh, Dorian Finney-Smith saying, let it go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let it go. That's a good one for a fundraiser. I'd like to tag along uh, with uh Dinwiddie and Luca and uh, Boban on that trip to the state fair but 80 grand that's a lot of Fletcher's corny dogs another update Sean Decker of the Rangers friend of the podcast who leads their rev entertainment operation bringing other events he landed a big one for Globe Life Field with Lady Gaga coming on August 23rd I have a feeling that you're going to be in
1: attendance uh, that night. Oh, uh, Sully, you can bet I've already uh, had conversations with Sean about that. I'll be seeing him later today. I may even ask to leave our meeting with tickets in hand. So, uh, yes, I've seen Gaga before at the American Airlines Center. Uh, fantastic show there. So uh, excited for Globe Life Field. And honestly, you know, we've both uh, been at a concert there at Globe Life Field and uh, I think with their their new development, new stadium, we should probably anticipate a, a few more key uh, concerts for Sean and his team to be announcing in the near future.
0: I mean, I used uh, the fact that I was at opening night of the Hella Mega Tour to impress uh, young people. So I'm, <laughs> I'm always in for a, for a live show. Uh, you know, And Randy Galloway is sort of the Lady Gaga of sports columnists in his day, the biggest star <laughs> in, the, uh, in the pantheon. Uh, and we're, we're back in a moment to talk with the legendary Randy Galloway. But before we do that, some sad news uh, in Dallas sports circles this week with the passing of Marilyn Love, the Cowboys, Jerry Jones' assistant uh, for more than 40 years, beloved by everybody who got to work with her and know her, uh, for her, her ready smile, her helpful demeanor, all about getting it done. Marilyn Love sadly passing away, and she will definitely be missed on the Dallas-Fort Worth sports scene. All right, back with Galloway in a moment, but first over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors.
2: Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final (laughs) Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at WorldCupDallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup.
0: Thanks, Rach. And now, what a pleasure, what a thrill to welcome to the mic drop the great Randy Galloway. He retired, hard to believe it was 2013. After nearly 50 years covering Dallas sports, I'm not any good at math, Gallow, but you had a long run, almost fifty years, I believe. In nineteen ninety-eight, after thirty-one years at the Morning News, the Star Telegram cleared some cap space, and uh, and lured Galloway over to Tarrant <laughs> County, which was a monumental shift uh, in the Dallas sports scene. Of course, uh, the longtime radio host at WBAP and later at ESPN Dallas, he he was a true pioneer of that that double whammy of the column that hit you in the morning in the paper and that drive time talk show to uh, to follow up and keep pounding those opinions and that point of view. So, uh, Gallo, welcome to the mic drop. Thanks for some time today.
3: Hey, Sully, really great uh, talking to you, and uh, hello, Monica. And, uh, yeah, people ask uh, in 98 when I moved over to the Star Telegram, did you do it for the money? And I said, hell yes, I did it for the money. <laughs> Who doesn't do it for the money? But uh, At the same time, I I knew what the Star-Telegram was doing. Of course, I'd been watching it all along as our competition uh, at the morning news. And then I knew where that thing was going and how uh, the sports department and as good as it was. And, of course, I had friends over there, too. So, yeah, it turned out to be a good move. But uh, 50 years, uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud of survival. For 50 years as a uh, as a sports writer, and then 29 years on the radio. Plus, I'm glad you brought up Marilyn Love. It, hey, that was one lady that no matter what, and I, you know, I would get a little bit combative, probably a lot combative in all my years of doing the columns. But uh, I, and and I didn't care if I pissed people off or not. In fact, sometimes I just went out of my way to piss people off but not Marilyn love you did not do that with miss maryland you uh uh you stayed on the friendly side of her and for good reason what a great human being though and i'm uh, i was reading about her passing this morning i was sorry to see
0: that now i i heard you on uh, mac engel's new podcast the Engel angle uh say that you don't miss it and, and i believe you but when there's a big story you know, the Cowboys are going to let Amari Cooper go or something happens. Rangers, you know, make the big spending spree for, for Marcus Semyon and Corey Seager. Uh, do you miss it then? I mean, do you want to get up and go on, you know, give a commentary like you used to on radio or fire off a, a quick column in those moments <laughs> of big news?
3: Yeah. You know, and most of the time, uh, you know, 99% I don't, but I, uh, uh, I've got to admit, and I've told other people this, after that uh, Cowboys 49ers game, uh, I said, I'm watching that, and I'm wishing, God, I need a column. I'd like to have a column right now uh, just over the uh, the stupidity. I mean, you, you cannot be that undisciplined as a football team. And by the way, it wasn't just that game. This had been going on all season. Uh, you're that undisciplined as a football game. Uh, number one, there's three things involved. Uh, you're either stupid, uh, or you don't give a damn, or you're not well coached. And and in this case, it may have been all three. But uh, yeah, I would have fired Mike McCarthy uh, two minutes after that game was over, and probably a lot of the coaching staff, not the defense, not the defensive coordinator, but. Uh, most everybody else uh, right after that game was over. So, yeah, I wish I had a column, but I'll admit uh, I got up the next morning. I read Kevin Sherrington in the morning news, Mac Engle in the Star-Telegram, and I felt better. I said they covered all the bases, so no, I don't need to come back. But, yeah, I like that. I, there, there are times uh, this baseball, boy, talk about a tsunami of stupidity. That is the game of baseball, and uh, uh, I, w- <laughs> I would have liked to say said something on that uh, because the national baseball writers, and a lot of them are friends of mine that I've known for years, but it was all about blaming the commissioner and blaming the owners for what, what went on for 100 days or however long it was. And, I, boy, I did not see it that way. And I think it ended up, uh, I thought it was the players' fault. For once, I actually backed the owners. And I have never done that, going all the way back to the 70s when I was covering the Rangers. Uh, and that was when, the really, the labor movement really took off. But I think it proved here just yesterday when the settlement was made then it was the players holding everything up for no good reason, or at least the eight players on the executive committee who were doing the negotiating. They voted 8-0 yesterday not to accept, uh, not to accept the bargaining agreement. Then they took it to the player reps. There are 30 of those, one for each team. They voted 26-4 to 4 to accept. So the guys sitting on the... In the negotiation, those eight players were obviously not contacting the rank and file players. Yeah, I'd like to jump in on something like that. But, you know, uh, when you're retired, stay retired. Stay out of it. And that's what I try to do.
0: You know, we're we're fortunate. You mentioned uh, Sherrington and Engel. We'll throw Kyle Shaw in there. All three of them have been guests on the mic drop. So we've got some strong opinion uh, voices in, in, our, in our two uh newspapers i'm not so sure that's still the case nationally by the way i think we still have a, a decent newspaper town if there is such a thing but i want to make one point about you, you know you were sort of the ultimate opinion shaper and 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 trendsetter leader of hot sports takes for all those years and in 1994 jason kidd's rookie year with the mavericks of course after one year of the Quinn Buckner. Uh, experiment, I guess you we could call it. Uh, Donald Carter and Norm Sanju hired Dick Mata to come back. He had left seven years prior under not great conditions, basically quit on the team uh, in a huff, sort of a heavy drama, was not a good ending after a number of great years for Coach Mata. And on the night when he was offered the job and when he decided he was going to take it, Mata called me at home and said, do you think I can pull this off with the media? And I said, absolutely, because Mano was always very good to the media. It was accessible, especially if you went to practice. He appreciated the job the writers had to do and the media people. But he said, who do you, Who can you get me with right away so I can start rebuilding all these bridges? And I gave him a couple of names, but the first name was Randy Galloway. And and, and I'm sure uh, Norm Hitzkiss was on there and Dale Hansen and maybe one other. But the key to me as the Mavericks PR guy was we got to get Galloway and Mata in alignment. And I don't know if you remember that episode or, or, or not. But my question is, you know, you, he, that showed the influence that you had uh, at, at that time. Did you take that? Did you see that as a responsibility to the sports fan? Because people really did follow your lead. And your opinion mattered more than almost anybody else. Did you consider that a weighty responsibility to get things right?
3: Yeah, and sometimes I didn't even consider it, that uh, that it was happening. Uh, but do I ever remember that? I called Mata after you called me. And one of the things he said right away, he said, Galloway, quite frankly, I don't want to take this job because I don't want to deal with you. And I said, Dick, I would love for you to take this job. I mean, this thing is a mess. We all know what kind of mess it was. I would love for you to come back. He said, Really? I said, Yeah. And I, you know, I realized when he left, it was that was messy. Those those were also messy times. But I, I uh, that that kind of uh, it stunned me, and then in a negative kind of way is he didn't want to deal with me and i i you know i kind of i kind of hated that because i really wanted him uh, really wanted him to come back and then you know when he came back it wasn't super successful but everything uh you know everything went well i you know i guess it was a uh, – I, I, I just tried not to take myself that seriously and uh and it scared me i think when some people did and that uh uh that that was kind of a little bit of a problem but yeah i certainly remember that uh i certainly remember your
0: phone call and then my phone call to monica before i lateral it over to monica i have one more for you and i don't i'm sure you remember this but let's see if you do One year, and I don't remember what year this was. It was late 80s or early 90s. It was your wedding anniversary. And on your way to take Janine out to dinner, you stopped at Reunion Arena. As I remember it, you got the cop outside to let you leave the car running at the curb right outside the front door of Reunion Arena. Of course, he knew who you were and, and let you do it. But your mission that night was to go to the Mavericks locker room. You couldn't stay for the game. But you you, ha- you walked into the Mavericks locker room and I watched you go up to Derek Harper and you said, Harp, I can't stay for the game tonight. It's my wedding anniversary. But I just want to tell you, I am all over your stuff. And that's not the word you used, in the paper in the morning. And I just wanted you to look you in the eye and hear it from me and and uh, and have a little bit of a conversation about it. And Harper laughed and smiled and thanked you for coming and shook your hand. Uh, knowing that it was going to be fair, whatever it was, and that his point of view was going to be in there. And uh, and you left and hustled back upstairs and went out and took Janine out to dinner. And that's the sort of thing, you know, you had this relationship. You know, there were some columnists that were hit-and-run artists. You never saw them. They never came to practice or games. But you you built relationships with these guys. Uh, and But why was it so important for you you had interviewed him. You wrote what you were going to write. Why was it so important for you to interrupt your anniversary evening
3: to
0: <laughs> go look him in the mirror like that?
3: You know, I, yeah, God, I just always thought, and and I will. I learned this a little bit. The first professional team I ever covered started in '68, covering the Dallas Chaparral. So, and uh, I did that for three years, but. I went into baseball, and when the Rangers, the Senators, moved to Texas, first season was 72, then I I started covering the team, and boy, you learn in baseball, I think, more than any other sport, because you're there every day, every day, uh, there's a game going on, and whether you're at home or on the road, and you write something, and those guys are reading it, and... They know. They know if you're going to show up in the clubhouse the next day, or you're going to hang around out on the field in the dugout. Now they'll be coming out, take BP, batting practice, and all that. But they they know. They watch that stuff. And so I learned that quick in baseball. If you're going to write something, be there the next day. And I, you know, in a certain extent, it's gutless if you don't. Uh, there were some uncomfortable scenes because, you know, you don't want to get your ass whooped and you can very easily do that. So I, you know, I never went in a clubhouse or a locker room trying to show muscle or trying to act like the big guy. I was there. So if you want to yell at me, go ahead and yell at me because I'm going to show up. And then uh, I had a few of those yelling matches back and forth, but I, you know, it's just kind of the right thing to do. And I do appreciate it that, you know, you brought it up, but, I mean, everybody I can talk to all these years, heck, I've been retired now for eight years, but, you know, they people i talk talked to, former players, other people in the media, they always bring that up, that you showed up. But I tried to. I tried to be there at all time, And, uh, of course, Harper just one of my all-time favorites, too. So I can't even remember what I'd written. But I did want him to know because uh, and I had my problems with Mark Aguire, one of the great players, talents of all time. But I love Roe. and I used, On the radio, I call Roe and Harp uh, my sons, my adopted sons. <laughs> so they were, they were both of them two of my favorites right there. But yeah, but thanks for bringing that up.
1: So, Randy, uh, with COVID, uh, I think it's really accelerated maybe the relationship between players and the media. And you're just talking about the relationships that you had with, with Harper and, and others. Do you think you could have had the, the same type of a relationship you had with Harper with some of today's players?
3: Wow. Well, yeah, I do. Uh, I, I don't think today's players... Are as hostile towards the media as uh, as we had back in the day. And boy, I, I kind of, re- Monica, I'm kind of referring to baseball. Yep. I know baseball players have have totally changed uh, since I started covering in the '70s. I mean, it was kind of a hostile relationship, and you had to earn a lot of trust. But I was seeing that, you know, in the, in the 2000s, early 2000s, when I was still working. Uh players kind of changed. But, yeah, I think – now here's a problem, and I, I'm i glad Tim Callishaw wrote about this a couple of weeks ago. With COVID, of course, they weren't letting beat people or any media people uh, in the locker rooms or the clubhouses. And then uh, the NBA commissioner, the ugly guy, I can't think of his name right now, uh, he comes out the other day and says, uh, we're thinking about keeping that policy of not opening uh our our locker rooms to the media. They bring them bring the players and the coaches outside. Well, I mean that, that takes away so much from what it is and particularly for beat people. I mean that's they get to know you, you get to know them, and uh there's a whether they like you or not, or you like them or not, at least You've got that, you know, you've got that relationship. Same way with columnists, same way with TV people. Uh, so, I, in a way, I think it's easier now. I don't think the players are that hostile anymore uh, overall. But this COVID thing may have changed everything for uh, not only the NBA, but I'd say MLB is thinking. I know they're thinking about doing that. Uh, NFL. They're certainly thinking about doing that. So a lot of things will change right there if, if media is not allowed in clubhouses or locker rooms.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Randy. You started out in Dallas as the Rangers uh, beat writer. Um, I think uh, it's easy to no, see. No, I, start,
3: I started oh. out, I, Monica. I started out covering high schools. Oh, in uh, nineteen yeah nineteen sixty six. So. Actually, the morning news sent me, I was 21 years old, had plumped out of North Texas, which is hard to do, but you had to go to class and stuff like that. And I just got married. And uh, the morning I, I was working kind of part time at the morning news and the sports editor the late great Walter Robertson uh, called me in and said, there's an opening in Port Arthur, Port Arthur, Texas. You should go. And my wife and I drove down there. They hired me on the spot. So I stayed down there a year, I think 13 months, and loved it. Loved the Cajun atmosphere, the whole thing. And then Walter called and brought me back to the Morning News in 76. So, yeah, I covered high schools for two years and covered great North Texas State football and basketball team, Mean Joe Green playing on those teams, uh, and then I started covering the chaparrales uh, was the first pro team.
1: So, Randy, I want to turn uh, over to the Rangers a little bit. Uh, obviously, spring training getting underway here. Um, more moves to come uh, in the Rangers rebuild. How do we or how do you size up their uh, chances this season? What should we expect?
3: Whoa. Uh, well, better. <laughs> That's not going <laughs> to take a lot. <laughs> and we we all know the uh, the spending spree that they went on, which shocked me, guys, and uh, I think shocked a lot of people uh, based on what we've seen the last four or five years. But uh, I think they can – you know, I think certainly they can be improved. I think they've laid a foundation now and everything about – I don't think it will be a 500 team. Uh, at 81, 81, they are going to play the full 62. But uh, you know, I think he could be a team that could get back close to 500 if young pitching comes around. So, and, and there's nothing, <laughs> uh, there's nothing new about that. And just about everybody's going to say, well, how's the team going to do? Depends on the pitching. And in the Rangers' case, it's going to be uh, young pitching at least. Do they pick up a Sonny Gray, somebody, a uh, veteran? Uh, I don't think Kershaw will sign here. I think he will go back to the Dodgers. We don't know about his health anyway. But uh, you know, if they pick up maybe another veteran pitcher, that would probably help. But let's say, uh, let's say seventy-six wins, and that would certainly be a vast improvement, wouldn't it?
1: We'll take it, I think. Uh, in any way that we're climbing the yeah, ladder a yeah. little bit, I think we'll, we'll we'll take it. Hopefully we'll get there. Um, you know, it,
3: it, hey, it's, it should be getting better. That's amazing.
1: Getting better. There we go. Well, let's talk about uh, getting better for our Cowboys. You mentioned uh, a, a, few, a few items earlier of uh, maybe some challenges. What's your take on the Cowboys and their off-season strategy?
3: <laughs> I... Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm finding that very interesting. I, You know, the main thing I'd like to see on the Cowboys would be, uh, I'd like to see a, a totally new offensive mindset. And uh, that includes uh, a new offensive co- coordinator. Now, a lot of guys, I mean, there were people who loved, particularly early on, what the current offensive coordinator was doing. Uh, but then to see the quarterback fall off like that, uh I think I think you need a new voice in there for Dak. Uh and to watch you, the start he had and the strong start and then kind of the finish he had, I would I would start there. And uh now we all know, you know, they're going to get rid of Amari Cooper. Uh that's uh I I think that will happen. I think they're mad at him over COVID refusing to get the shot, missing those two important games. But Monica, I got to admit, I'd have fired the head coach <laughs> <laughs> right after the San Francisco game. I, I would have a new head coach in here.
1: I, I think there may be a lot of people uh, uh, thinking the same thing, Randy.
0: Yeah, yeah Kello, That that's what, uh, that's what made, it, made you so interesting is, is – uh, <laughs> You didn't have to worry about hiring the next one, but let's fire this one and uh, yeah, right. <laughs> and go down the road. Well, a, we uh,
3: let
0: you... uh, go ahead, Sally, go ahead. Yeah, before we let you go, just one last one. You you covered just some of the true icons in, in sports, whether it was Ted Williams or Tom Landry, all the way through your your near fifty year run in, in Dallas. What? Who stands out? Who did you? You know, if you had one interview left, who, who would it be
3: with? You know, that, that sort of thing. I did one live interview in my life in South Dallas. I think the year was 69. I'm not even sure. Uh, with Muhammad Ali. I was the only media member out of, well, you had two papers in Dallas, two papers in Fort Worth. We had three TV stations in those days, maybe four, actually four. And I was the only media member to show up with Ali in town. went to a mosque somewhere over in South Dallas off Forest Avenue. And uh, one of the greatest days of my life. I had 30 minutes alone with Ali, and he could not have been nicer. And all the brothers and sisters involved – They could not have been nicer uh, to have this honky boy in there. (laughs) Kind of nervous to start with, and then uh, it turned out to be a great experience. So if I could do that again, uh, that'd be that's where I would start. uh, Because I've never I
0: never forgot that moment. Well, Gallo, we we just it's so grateful to you for spending some time with us today. Uh, Continued success and relaxation in your retirement, and uh, and and just all the best to you and your family. Okay,
3: Sully and Monica, thank you very much. I enjoyed
0: it. Y'all keep it going. We'll do. We're back in a moment with Gina Leahy of the NCAA. But first, over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors.
2: Did you know the Dallas Zoo provides guests with real-life opportunities to make memorable connections with more than 2,000 animals? Please support the zoo's mission to inspire and empower action on behalf of the wildlife in Texas and around the world. Visit DallasZoo.com to purchase your tickets today.
0: Thanks, Rach. And now we're pleased to welcome to the mic drop Gina Leahy. She is the Managing Director of Brand and Strategy at the NCAA, a post she's had since the fall of 2019. She began her journey. We, we like talking about the journeys of our guests on the mic drop, and she sort of uh, hustled her way into a spot at the University of Arizona, keeping stats uh, for Coach Lute Olson and the, the basketball program. From there, she went on to uh, work as an intern at the Inside Bowl, of course, got hired there after her internship, led communications and external affairs at the Fiesta Bowl and Rose Bowl and then in 2014 took over the marketing and external affairs role with the college football playoff. Uh, Gina, thank you for joining us here on the mic drop.
4: Thanks for having me. I get very embarrassed when I have to listen to my my previous um stops along the way. Makes me feel old.
1: <laughs> oh, Gina, we're just getting started here on the mic drop. We're we're about to make you divulge everything. Just just oh, spill boy. it. Um, oh boy. well, first off, I'd like to congratulate you on, uh, being named the 2022 class of the college sports information directors hall of fame. I believe you're one of the youngest inductees ever, and that has to be a pretty big accomplishment and, uh, uh, has to be a great honor for you. What does this mean to you?
4: Well, I, I joked about feeling old when I told my husband, I got the call a couple weeks ago about it. The first thing he said to me was, Hall of Fame? Isn't that for people who are old? So I'm like, thanks. I was already feeling it and hearing it, but um, I was shocked. I mean, I I've said this to several people talking about this over the last couple of weeks, that that was really one of the first professional organizations that I joined when I got into this industry and was recommended that I do so. And and at the time, you know, this is pre- Uh, social media being a primary source of, you know, quote-unquote networking, um, this was where true communications and networking began for me. And I established really important relationships that continue to be a focal point of my career to this day of not only making new ones, but cultivating and keeping those that that I've had for 20-plus years. So I really credit a lot of um, people that I met along the way who... Opened doors for me, provided advice, um, have become mentors throughout various parts of of my journey, and um, to be honored by this group is is really humbling. Um, but it does make me think, man, I've I've been uh, I guess around long enough that I can be considered for a Hall of Fame. Um, but but I hope that through this, I can continue to pay it forward and re-energize the organization into bringing. Um, additional younger and female in particular into this industry and expose them to the opportunities and and the really good work that they've done over the years.
1: Well, Gina, you lead right into my next uh, question. Uh, I, uh, not this semester, but I've taught at SMU, uh, a sports management class. And it's an undergraduate class, so it's always, uh, you know, freshmen and sophomores trying to figure out what they want to do with their lives, and uh, they think they want to get in sports, and they really think it's all, you know, roses, uh, easy to get to, and they're going to get <laughs> to go to all these major events. But uh, Sully mentioned you began your career as soon as you got to University of Arizona on, on campus. Uh, tell us about your journey and maybe some advice you could give to my students or other younger people, uh, who are wanting to get into sport.
4: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. And I, I continue to mentor a lot of high school and college students who, you know, as you mentioned, they, they, their answer is, well, I want to work in sports. And I always say, well, what does that mean to you? You know, is the first thing I ask what does that mean to you? Is it something that you see? Um, Literally, is it something that you feel while you're watching or participating and kind of help direct? I guess the next part of that conversation being to have patience. Um, It's the number one piece of advice I share because we live in a world where everything is so immediate Um, immediate information, immediate expectation. And perhaps this is true in any industry. I've only ever worked in sports, so I know it to be true here. There's this expectation of having the best job, the best title, the best salary right away. Um, And you have to put in the work and and I can't emphasize enough to younger kids who want to get into sports, how important relationships um, mean and what they continue to mean throughout your career. And I'm not trying to downplay um, the resume or uh, the GPA or the experience that you have on campus, but I do remind people that I'm not looking at what your major or your minor or your GPA is. I'm looking, where have you been? Do I know somebody who's at where you've been? And can I pick up the phone and call them and ask them an honest question of what is this person like? How is their work ethic? What are they going to bring to the table for, for in a team environment? I care about that personal recommendation more than I care about what it says on paper. So anytime you can get experience, and again, the patience part of this is, You may think, I want to work in the NFL. All right, how are you going to get there? There's lots of opportunities to continue to build. Again, I always talk about a toolkit and what you continue to add to this toolkit over your career. So if you live in an area where there's golf, as an example, go volunteer for the golf event. You will learn something there that will carry through with you if the NFL is your end game. And I'm just using those two as examples. You can insert any sport, any event, um, there's always opportunity to add to that toolkit. Uh, if you take the risk and you and you approach it with patience and understanding, down the road, in the long run, there will be something that will apply to me um, and, and make me a better candidate down the road. So I always stress, get experience, look for experience outside of the box, outside of your box, what you think you know, um, and it will serve you well down the road.
1: Well I couldn't have said that better uh that was fantastic and Gina, you have to juggle a lot of balls have a you know a lot of responsibility at the NCAA and uh but also from a personal side you have two young daughters uh meaning you have to <laughs> juggle and balance working and sport and being a great mom how have uh what have you learned through that process and how do you do it all?
4: Well, again, another thing that I'm very passionate about and have been probably for the last two or three years, um, maybe a little bit longer that when I do have the opportunity to speak with with you guys today or, or again, younger students um, wanting to come up in this industry is if you have a passion, if you have a purpose and you have a desire, you can always find out how to make it work. It may not always be easy. Um, It may provide hurdles unexpected at times, But if it's what you want, like anything in life, you're going to figure out how to make it happen. I honestly didn't ever have aspirations to be a mom. That wasn't one of my, as a young kid, you know, a lot of girls are like, I'm going to be married by the time I'm 20 and I'm going to have kids. But I never did that Um, for whatever reason. That just wasn't who I I (laughs) was growing up. But when I did realize that that was something that I wanted, I knew it was going to be difficult. But again, I had a vision and I had a purpose and I was going to make it happen no matter what. I wasn't going to ask for apologies on the way. I wasn't going to provide excuses along the way. It was what I wanted and it wasn't anybody else's problem to deal with. Um, and, and I say problem, I'm not saying my children are the problem, but when I was at CFP, um, this is a true story. I, I found out I was pregnant with my first daughter and got out the calendar in the doctor's room and you know my husband's there and I'm looking and it was like mid-December. And I'm like, ooh, you know, this is year one of the CFP National Championship game. And I looked at my doctor and I said, yeah, I'm going to need to get induced. I can't. I I have a game to put on. And she kind of sat back and looked at me. She goes, honey, it doesn't work that way. And I'm looking at my husband like, what what do you mean it doesn't work that way? It's going to work that way for me. And again, in that moment, I knew I was going to figure it out. It wasn't going to be easy, but I was going to figure it out because I cared equally for my personal life as much as I did my professional. And I found ways to balance that. And what I try and instill in women who get into this business is you can have and you can do both. Um, If you want it, you will figure out how to make it happen. Like anything in life, you need a great support system around you, whether that is your partner, other family members, friends, um, a work environment that helps and supports it. Uh, and, and it's becoming more common, I think. Um, when I was at CFP, I'm pretty sure that that Bill Hancock and others would, would show up at a meeting and didn't know that uh, my toddler or my baby was going to be there with me sitting over in the corner of the room taking a nap. But sometimes that's what had to happen or that I would bring her and I'd find a babysitter wherever that town city happened to be. And the babysitter would come meet me in my hotel room while I went to a meeting and I'd join her when I was done. But again, I wasn't asking for that permission. I wasn't giving an excuse of, I can't do this unless it was my choice. It was my decision. And it was important to me to prove to myself a little bit selfishly and competitively that that I could do it. Um, But I want, again, I can't emphasize enough if it's something that you want, regardless of what the profession is, you know, the the old adage, if there's a will, there's a way. It, it's true. If you want it, you will figure out how to make it work.
0: Well, Gina, I, I have to know, did you get induced? And when was your daughter born? That, that first I did.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so I did get induced, um, not because I pressured my doctor. I medically had to. Uh, I got induced and um, went into labor for 26 hours before my daughter's heart started stopping during contractions and had to have a C-section. So you wanna talk about not in my plan. Um, That was, I mean, the biggest curveball of my life. In the moment, I I knew that I had like a timeline that I had to be out of the hospital with my baby, ready to get back to work. And then it was like, well, you're gonna have a C-section and not be able to drive and restricted movement for two to three weeks. And again, I'm like in my mind with the calendar, why? I can't do that. Um, but I made it happen. You know, my mother-in-law was a godsend at that moment. She came from Indiana to Dallas, and I had a runner. Uh, again, true story. I had a runner for my milk at the game. Oh. <laughs> so I was, I think wow. I was pumping oh, yeah. in one of the offices of a Cotton Bowl staffer and had somebody coming to pick it up to take uh, my daughter, Adriana, her milk during during uh, breaks it's just crazy stuff you know you look back and you're like why what was i thinking but we made it work
0: well where there's a will there's a way like you said <laughs> you you mentioned young people today are impatient and i know i know you're a i'm sure you're a sports business journal reader like i am and they have sort of i think informally undertaken a mission to try to convince leaders in sports to pay more for entry level jobs in sports, because what we're finding is less young people actually want to work in sports because they value the quality of their personal lives so much. Uh, My first day at the Mavericks in 1980, I worked until 11 p.m. I was going to have to be bodily removed from this opportunity. My quality of life, my personal life was way down the list. And that's probably wrong. And the younger people today probably have it right. But what do you think of that? I mean, you know, should uh, is there a way in sports to uh, to find a better work life balance? Because if without it, I don't know that we're going to continue to attract uh, the best and the brightest young people who aren't aren't prepared to give up all those nights and weekends. It seems.
4: Yeah, I think two years ago my answer may have been different because I think COVID has presented like an entire other layer to this subject. Um, similarly, I look back. You know, my first job at the Insight Combo. I didn't get paid. I was basically working a full time job and not being paid. And I remember probably I don't know a month into the job, um, our boss at the time called us all into the room. We're like, oh, thought we're getting in trouble, and said, well, we got a sponsor. We're gonna be able to give you three hundred dollars a month. I kid you not. You would have thought I just struck the lottery. I mean, I remember again, I'm in college. We went out and partied. I mean, three hundred dollars a month? Are you kidding me? And it was never about money for me. So so personally, it's very hard having this discussion um, and, and looking at it differently, because I do think you have to put in the work. Um, I do not compliment this expect expectation environment um, is not something that I think it speaks to who I am as a, a leader, who I want to be as a mentor. Um, I think you have to pay your dues. And whether that's by hours, lack of salary, whatever it is. And and that's an unpopular position I know to take. I think COVID has even furthered their argument of, well, you should be giving me this and I should not be doing that um, because of this environment that has a little more flexibility where you work, how you work. Social media, digital space certainly has changed what that, that production looks like. In communications and media and brand, where you're in an environment that needs and has constant connection, less is not more for me. Um, so again, I, I battle and Sully. I've I've read these arguments and I continue to read them because I do value the younger generation coming up and teaching us. And I I can say that I mean there's. There are people who I meet now and I could be their mother um, that know more about social media than I do. And and I'm not dismissing them. Uh, I think they bring tremendous value, but I also feel like I bring value um, in instilling some of of the work ethic that that is still necessary um, in this business environment.
0: Let's pause for a moment, Gina, and bring in Marcus Next Level Carr here, who is a young person, a grad student at SMU. Uh, working full-time for Tony Faye PR. What do you make of this, Marcus, that young people, you know, your peer group uh, isn't willing to make the personal sacrifices that Gina made and so many, Monica and me and Tony Faye and so many others in sports. What do, what do you think of that? Is it accurate in your experience?
5: You know, I, I I do think there is a lot of truth to it in in a sense, but I do know there are a lot of people, especially in the programs that I've been in, that if you really want to work in sports, you're going to do what you got to do to be there. Um, and I think everybody knows, you know, once you're in sports, it's a dream come true. Um, so, you know, I think Gina's giving great advice for one. And, um, I I think, you know, your advice for students, you know, how to break into the industry, be patient. That is the hardest thing that I think I've learned, uh, in the last, you know, Four or five years is just be patient and stay patient. Keep your head down and keep going. Uh, One question I do have for you, though, um, which as a student I'm interested in to know is, you know, what all goes into your job? Um, You know, you're um, the managing director of brands and strategy for the NCA. Like, what does that mean? What does that entail for you on, on on a day to day?
4: Well, it's a great question, and I do have to look back on the two years that I've been here just to share some perspective. Um, I walked in the doors of the NCAA. I think it had been maybe three or four days um, right after all of the NIL uh, stuff dropped on on our plate, um, which was pretty big deal at the time, still is, but but at the time was fairly significant. Uh, a couple months later, COVID happened. Um, we've had so many major historical, things happened to our association in the two years that I've been here. And I continue, even today, I was on a call, you know, somebody saying, and I quote, I've never seen anything like this at my career of the NCAA. And we've said that a lot in the last two years, whether it's been congressional um, issues, again, NIL, COVID, racial and gender inequity, it's been a lot. Um, So I share all of that perspective to say that what I do has not looked consistent for two years, other than putting out fires I, and trying to manage um, this, you know, unprecedented moment in time for the association and the brand hits and the the brand blows that we continue to hit, take, and how can we be proactive to position ourselves so that we aren't setting ourselves up for continued attack when we can't when we can help it. Um, Again, because of some of those things, I think my my job in particular around how we communicate with COVID was a huge focal point of of when I first came on board and everybody being remote and being in this unknown space and environment for student athletes, but we still had a job and responsibility to communicate to them about what their lives were going to look like quite literally um, on campus, off campus. As a, as a teammate um, and, and that was challenging and it and continues to be because we see residual effects with mental health around all of that. Uh, the gender equity piece has been a huge part of what I've been working on most recently and certainly leading into um, the tournaments uh, with selection shows starting on Sunday and ensuring that up until Sunday, we make sure that we look back and acknowledge what happened we have taken tremendous strides and steps to address what we can in a very short amount of time and reinforce that our work is not done. We, we recognize we still have a lot of responsibility in front of us, but as of Sunday, you know, this is the time where we all want to make sure we're celebrating this experience and opportunity that student athletes have. And that's probably the core of everything that I do around brand and strategy is, how is this going to benefit, impact, influence, and provide opportunity for student athletes? First and foremost, before we we start any project, that, that is our pillar of focus.
1: So Gina, before we let you go, and uh, we'll definitely be celebrating that, that student athlete experience uh, during March Madness, and I look forward to being a good host and partner with the NCAA uh, next year for 2023 uh, Women's Final Four in those three championships. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned it a little bit, uh, the mission of the NCAA seems to be maybe shifting a little bit. Uh, what can you tell us about what does the future look like? Um, I mean, I, I know there's committees and, and a lot of decision makers there, but, uh, can you shed any light on what that future mission may look like?
4: Yeah. I, I mean, again, we still have some really large issues, um, on our plate, um, Uh, And I think the next year to two years um, will be a significant lift for our team. Some of which will be what we can manage and control and help be proactive again in an environment to assist with some of these issues. And some of them are out of our control and sit in Washington um, DC and with NIL in particular and how that looks and we're gonna need help and assistance. I think that's been recognized and understood not only at the staff level but by our, our membership as well. We have a active transformation committee right now focusing on Division One and the future of Division One and how that plays into um, the association as a whole. So there's some again really significant topics that are in discussion. Um, but talk about patience. We're going to have to exhibit that um, in a real way because it's not going to ha- these things aren't going to happen overnight. Um, we've got a lot of work to do. And again, some of that work is going to require uh, assistance outside the walls here at the national office in Indianapolis.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of people may not realize it's not just uh, some easy decisions and the number of people and conferences and student athletes, obviously being first and foremost and um, university systems. So uh, uh, definitely cheering y'all on and uh, very thankful that uh, you're our partner uh, Gina, really great to have you on here. Uh, the advice earlier, I may have to replay uh, over and over and over <laughs> myself. So uh, I appreciate you being here. And maybe I don't—I don't know if you're going to be out at either the men's or women's final fours uh, for for March Madness. But uh, if so, look forward to seeing you there. Thank you so much,
4: and I will be in Minneapolis. So who's ever there? Please uh, let's let's try and connect. Okay. Appreciate the
1: time and the opportunity. Sounds great. And now over to Rachel with a word from one of our sponsors.
2: The Perot Museum of Nature and Science plays a vital role in preparing the most talented and diverse STEM workforce of tomorrow right here in Dallas. Become a member today and enjoy free admission and other valuable benefits to support this nonprofit landmark. Visit perotmuseum.org for more information.
0: Thanks, Race. Now buckle up, everybody. Razor is here and he is ready to rock and roll. We are pleased to welcome to the mic drop, Daryl Ray, celebrating his 25th year. That is unbelievable as a stars analyst on TV and radio. He's been called the human thesaurus for his colorful vocabulary on the air. We're going to talk about that. Uh, but you know, not everybody realizes we we know that that uh, Razor is for British Columbia, and he had an NHL career with Edmonton and Hartford. He was a member. You look up the team picture of the 1988. Stanley Cup champion, Edmonton Oilers. This is the team that many (laughs) hockey insiders consider the greatest team ever ever to play the game. Uh, He's in that team picture. So Razor, we're going to proclaim you as having helped the 88 uh, Oilers to that Stanley Cup championship. Welcome to the mic drop.
6: (laughs) Oh, thanks, Kevin. Look, I won't fight you on that. I'll go with that. (laughs) I like to tell people, uh, obviously jokingly, that uh Gretz Wayne Gretzky and and myself we both left the same year we'd done enough in Edmonton we moved on he went to LA I went to Hartford that was really the end of the the epic run of the Edmonton Oilers when we left we... now do I
0: do I recall correctly that that Hartford the Hartford Whalers uh actually played at a at a mall a shopping <laughs> mall what yes. was that like
6: uh bizarre in in some ways uh you know, downtown Hartford, Hartford in general is like insurance, right? It's, it's all insurance corporate. Uh, and you go to that, you would go to that mall. And when I would walk from, uh, our parking or even earlier than that, when I got called up and I was staying at the hotel, uh, you would walk through the mall, like you'd walk past, uh, Chess King and, and uh, orange julius and down into the uh, dressing room and then you played the game and then after the game you went upstairs and you went into the mall and you had a post-game meal at chuck's steakhouse like it 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 was weird but what look it's like anything once you get into the actual uh, arena you forget where you're at but yeah it was attached to a mall
0: well to the benefit of of uh of stars fans you know your career was cut short by injuries at age 28 you were on to your off the ice pursuits and we're all better for it now the you are known for your descriptions i like that there was one where you you uh described roberto luongo as a big kitty trying to play with a ball of yarn <laughs> in front of the in front of the goal uh he had the famous one that's all over youtube when uh uh, Jordy Ben and, and Jamie Ben were playing together back in 2015. Jordy assisted on a, a goal by Jamie. And you said that it was double penetration. <laughs> now, did you come up with these things Do you think about them in advance? Uh, some of your stuff is a little scatological. You know, we got a family show here on the mic drop. Yeah. yeah. How do you formulate? Is that on the fly or do you give it some thought ahead of time? Uh,
6: it's, I'd be lying if I didn't say it was a little of both. Uh, some of it is off the cuff, although, and you can probably appreciate this, like you can't be as off the cuff as you could be 15 years ago, 20 years ago. You get a little right. too off the cuff and you're off the air for good. Uh, <laughs> so you, you, you have to be, I think, a little bit more, uh, I don't want to say dull, but the idea that you're going to be fascinating and flamboyant uh, now you put yourself, I think, in some peril of of a lot of people being offended by what you're saying when a couple decades ago you were just trying to have fun and maybe we didn't know enough. I, I certainly don't want to ever offend anyone. I just, I always, when I got into this business, I, I wanted to find better ways to say the same things over and over again, which is essentially what broadcasting is, right? Same stuff happens over and over, and you have to come up with, especially in my position as an analyst or a color man, uh, come up with different ways to describe the same thing. The, the best exercise for that, I did two years of EA Sports uh, NHL game. So they, they challenge you to come up with 10 to 15 ways to say basically everything you would ever say in a hockey game, and then they would stitch that into the computer, uh, the, into the video game. So I did that the first year. It was great because it actually gave me uh, some fodder for my own work. Right. And and some of the stuff I'd used a lot, I put into that. But then they they say, okay, now we need 10 to 15 different ways to say all those things. And after year two, I was tapped out. I couldn't have done year three, I don't think. uh, Because there's only so many ways you can say, uh, you know, icing or whatever, the way a guy stops a puck. But the word stuff, I, I never really understood why guys didn't use more of the English language. And so, you know, I, I don't do it. I've never done it to make myself come off as being you know, holier than thou or smarter, or anything like that. They're 25-cent words for the most part. Anybody can find them. You just have to do the research. So, you know, the stars go up one nothing, And then 11 seconds later, the other team ties the game. Well, you could say that the the lead was short-lived or you could say that it was fugacious. <laughs> like it's a better word, right? It's it's And then it sends people like, what? It, what, what kind of lead was it? It's a word and, and it's more descriptive. And I think it flows better in that. And I think it makes people laugh from time to time and scrambles them out of there. But And it, it has turned into something that people associate with me after 25 years, no question.
0: Monica, the next time the spelling bee Comes back to Dallas. Oh, don't make me
1: to... spell it. I can oh, say it. I just can't spell it. Sully, it's this weekend. It's oh, it Kaiser. is. Spelly. You should be a judge. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to get him in. Maybe oh, let me call. I may. I'll make a phone call. Uh, see. See if we need a. A guest judge. Celebrity judge. In a
6: sentence. Mm-hmm. I need it in a sentence. <laughs> uh, what and you is, have to pronounce what is the it? origin of yep. that word. Oh.
1: You're in, without a doubt, you're in. And Sully, I think Razor told us that we have to keep this PG so that we don't get kicked off. The, you know, they don't kick, kick us off the air. do kick me so, off the air and yeah, you, yes. Yeah, they're going to kick us all off the air shortly. So, well, Razor, we've got to get to uh, our, our stars. And um, I think they're in the middle of a playoff push. So break it down for us. What What needs to happen? Well, they need to finish in
6: the top eight where they're at. They've been—I've—I've I've dubbed it the hockey hokey pokey, where they they put their foot into the playoff picture and then they take their foot out of the playoff picture. Uh, then they put it in, they shake it all about. Uh, <laughs> they, they they have had a tough time moving up into where they're comfortable in there. So, depending on the day, you check. Although they they played uh, significantly better the last couple of months and really well over the last five weeks or so it's difficult to move yourself past some of these other teams that they need to to try to move ahead of so that they're more comfortable in their playoff spot but i mean they're on pace for close to 100 points and anywhere between uh, 96 and 100 should at least get you into the postseason uh and you know, some of the the things that maybe they weren't doing well early in the season, scoring was a problem. It's not a problem now. Goaltending was iffy and inconsistent. Certainly isn't now. Jake Ottinger, young net has come in and and just played marvelously in net. Uh, So they have no issues with that. They've been really healthy for the most part, uh, injury wise. Their issue has more so been illness and and, uh, getting sick and not just COVID. They even back when they were being tested a lot for COVID, uh, they, they were not contracting COVID, but they had a bunch of uh, illness, viral infections running through the team that they had to just kind of play through. And now they got news the other day that their best young player, uh, Miro Haskinen, has mono, and he's going to be out week to week now. So they, they've had some challenges in that regard. But if, if you just look at where they're at right now, they're, they're, they're trying to ascend – it's really difficult because everybody else is, uh, that they're trying to move past or keep pace with it's, is playing at about the same clip. And uh, because of that, there's urgency every single game. It doesn't matter whether they're playing at home or on the road. And they, they, have a, they have a real daunting little run that they're in the midst of here. Now, eight of the next 11 are on the road they're going to have to play 26 games in in the final 50 days of the regular season. So if they get in, uh, they'll be battle tested and they will have earned it. And most people around the NHL say the same thing. If those stars find their way into the postseason, man, they're going to be a difficult out. And I would echo that.
1: Well, we've got two uh, upcoming uh, dates. I think that we want to talk about, uh, First being uh, the twenty first, we're big uh, Jim Neal, feel, uh, <laughs> Jim Neal fans here. At the mic dropped, NHL trade deadline is approaching. Uh, is he going to be buying or selling, Razor? Man, oh man, oh man. Uh, you know that I think
6: right now because of some of what I just said, Monica. It, it's it's the most difficult position for any general manager to be in because you're not bad enough to where you're looking at your assets and saying oh, we' this isn't our year for whatever reason we're it's just not happening for us we have expiring contracts we have uh, some some players that that we could uh, move help ourselves down the road at the same time they're not in a, a, a comfortable enough position where they're automatically going to be a playoff team and now you're looking at it and thinking to yourself, what do we need? How, how do we make sure that we get all the way through hopefully a, pl- a long playoff run where maybe we have an injury, we have this. How do we help our depth? Are we missing uh, – can we grab a guy from some team that's not going to make the playoffs that can score goals? Do we need that guy that can score that goal at the right time? Do we need a big, nasty defenseman? So you're not, in, you're not really in that position. You're You're almost in a, hey, we've been pretty good for a while here. We're in a playoff spot. If we can help ourselves with some little minor thing, maybe, but we're not going to blow this thing up and we're not going to completely mortgage the future in order to grab someone because we don't know whether we're going to get in or not. So that's a real tough spot for any manager to be in. And that's where they find themselves uh, here uh, 10 days away from the trade deadline. So I to answer that's the long-winded answer to I have no idea what they're gonna do <laughs> I, I really don't I, I for the most part it's difficult to do a lot at the trade deadline anyway just because of a salary cap and the finances especially now having navigated their way through through COVID and that there's not a lot of extra money and, and room to add players uh, so we'll, we'll see it'll be fascinating uh, which direction they decide to go or if they decide to just kind of stand pat, maybe make a little minor deal and go with what they have right now and see if they can get themselves in and and, and make a run once they do get into the postseason.
1: Uh, Razor, just for FYI, I'm very good at uh, uh, saying a lot and not answering the question at, at the end of oh, the that, day as yeah, well. Yes. So it's, you know... You know, and it's an art. It's it is an art. Uh, I, I have to do that on, on a pretty regular basis. Sometimes, You know who was the best I've ever seen uh, in a
6: stars uniform at that? Mike learned this very early in his career. Mike Madonna understood that the longer he talked, the fewer questions he was going to get asked. So he would get asked a question and he would go on and I would stand there sometimes and I'd listen to him talking to a reporter. And I'd, I'd be like, man, there's words coming out of his mouth, and they're all connected to one another, and he, there's some buzzwords in there. He's really not saying anything at all. <laughs> and he just kept going and kept going, and smile and a handsome guy. And and then they'd be like, okay, well, we don't have any time for a follow-up, and that was the end of it. And he knew that. He was excellent at it. Yep. So congratulations to you and finding <laughs> your, your comfort zone with that.
1: Well, I want to um, – before I, I turn it back over to Selly, I want to talk about uh, – and let all of our Stars fans know that I think we have a special night uh, on March 22nd. Uh, it may be a special bobblehead night uh, when the Stars take on the Oilers uh, over at the American Airlines Center. So, Razor, what what's happening on the 22nd?
6: Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: first, you need all I know is you need
6: to be the first one of the first 5,000 apparently to to come, and you can get a. Reasonable facsimile of me, although it looks from maybe my first five years of doing this. Certainly not from the last five, considering the the hairline and the color of the hair and eyebrows on (laughs) on the bobblehead. But yeah, I I I've been honored with a bobblehead, uh, something that I've watched through the years, and I'm like, man, I'd I'd like to have a bobblehead someday. I didn't ask for it, but they did it uh, as part of my jubilee, the 25 years, and. Uh, they'll be handing them out uh, uh prior to I guess the game uh, against the Oilers, and and then that'll be that.
0: So the trade deadline is just kind of the warm up for for Razor Bobblehead Night.
6: Yeah, if you're looking, if you're gonna weigh the two in their significance, I would certainly put Bobblehead Night uh, ahead of trade deadline, no question.
0: All right, Razor. So this is the portion of the podcast where we ask our media guests to recommend a download or let us know a recommendation what you're streaming could be music book podcast tv movie uh what do you have what do you what have you been consuming lately
3: uh
6: well a lot of hockey <laughs> i don't want to just give you a, like a hockey podcast and i watch so much hockey uh, during yeah. the season and and there is a, a very good there's two very good hockey podcasts one is spit and chiclets sure. which is pretty edgy uh but uh can be fun uh, to listen to and the other one is 32 thoughts but I like to step away from it too I I love smartless I don't know if you guys have have listened to that at all but I I picked it up in the summer I'd go on a long walk and just listen to that man you can go down uh, a real enjoyable rabbit hole with Jason Bateman um, Will Arnett and Sean Hines is it I think I think it's Sean Hines Uh, Who anyway? It's it's a very good one. As as far as books, this is the one right here. Uh, Is it backwards?
0: Nope. Nope. I'm just trying trying to read it. The employee
6: handbook. Emperor's. It's the the employee handbook
0: Handbook of the
6: Dallas Stars. 25 years of my life with the Stars. It's called. It's called the Emperor's Handbook, Uh, and it's it's like uh, it's Marcus Aurelius. it's a it's a transcription of these old meditations uh it, it's just a different way to look at stuff that happens to you in life and that it's it's a pretty good book to just kind of pick up read a few ch- uh pages or chapters and and it puts life in perspective for you pretty quick uh and then you can move on with the rest of it so i love that i love tiktok but not the way uh. most people Consume TikTok. I go and don't laugh too hard at me. I am fascinated by knot tying on on TikTok. You you can find it on there. You can find your clove hitches and what have you, and just watch knots being tied. Again, it's like a meditation. Uh, on Instagram, uh, I'm i I'm a voyeur, so I watch yachts being parked. I love that, and uh, golf streams. I, I love watching anything comes across on Insta with golf streams. And that's about my world, hockey, meditations, not tying and, uh, elitist uh, transportation. That's me,
0: man. That is some, some, uh, package Monica, what are you up to these days? Sully?
1: I think this might be, this might be the most interesting podcast that we've had so far. <laughs> uh, if you combine all three of our guests and, uh, and, and, uh, yeah. What what they were sharing. Um, I have no download this uh, week. It has been, uh, my house renovation is finally finished. So I have been more focused on getting things put back into order than uh, consuming any, any media. There's so many online renovation shows. Oh, I've already cover. watched them. So I did oh, that way, okay. well, way oh, yeah, before the, the renovation. Yeah. 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 There you go. Yep. Sure.
0: Yeah, I am. I'm continuing with uh, Super Pumped, the fight for Uber and Showtime, uh, but also mainly preoccupied with uh, my Purdue Boilermakers uh, getting into the Big Ten Conference uh, today and into the tournament play. And I'm nervous as heck about the the NCAA tournament, but uh, let's see how the boilers do. Uh, and so razor I got want to money thank on you that, being...
6: you laying a little money on that. No, nope, I, I don't, uh,
0: I don't have the stomach for that. I have the no. stomach for <laughs> a lot of things, but not, uh, not, not betting. Uh, but I got to tell you razor, you have been a nectarous and mastodonic guest, Yeah, which, which, uh, we appreciate you very much. you make making some time for us today. All the best on, uh, on Daryl Ray bobblehead night. That'll be oh, a collector's you. item for sure.
6: I hope to get one. Uh, I hope to have one and then I'm just going to duct tape it into the back of my car. So my head will just be bobbing back and forth. <laughs> that,
0: that that'll be cool. And Monica's right. This was a great show on behalf of Monica uh, and the Dallas sports commission. Thanks to our guests, Randy Galloway, Gina Leahy, and of course, Razor, Daryl Ray celebrating 25 years behind the mic for the stars. Thanks to the mic drop production team, Danielle Wetlaw, Pescura. Angela Lang, Marcus Carr, Reeves Eddins of Tony Fay PR. Uh, thanks to uh, Mark and Ren at Vocal Media this week, our showrunner and visionary Tony Fay. Until next time, thanks for listening, everybody.